welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Kate Lander joining us. Kate is CEO at Ivy House London. They are experts in leadership development and behavioral change. Kate is also the former CLO for Fitch Learning and served as head of education for CFA Institute in the EMEA region. Welcome to the show, Kate. Andy, thank you so much for having me. Real, real pleasure to be here. Yes, we're we're going to have uh, loads of fun today. Uh, I've had uh, a f- uh, at least one other individual who uh, worked for CFA Institute on the show. And I, I really like showcasing finance, learning and development. So I'm really excited about this show. Uh, Kate, before we get started, I ask this question of all of our guests. Please tell our listeners your story. Of course, Andy. Um, listen, I suppose my story, I'd sum up in, in three words. Um, multi-career, if, if that's allowed as one word, um, learning and lucky. So just to maybe expand on that a little bit, I suppose multi-career, um, I guess I'd probably break it down into four areas. So qualified as an accountant originally at one of the big firms um, in London, then ended up, Andy, where our paths crossed a little bit along the times as, uh, as lecturer in finance. So um, both in terms of accountancy and then moving more into the banking side of finance. Um, then left the training world altogether and um, and had about 11 years as a, as a banker, um, working as a, a sales and trading desk, um, and then also managing a client uh, business. And then since 2013, I've been involved in uh, leading educational or training organisations. Um, so very much kind of multi-stages. Um, I think one of my realizations as part of my story is that I definitely have an addiction to learning. And that's certainly driven some of the changes that I've made over that time. Um, I've genuinely loved every different stage of that multi-career um, story. I'm really conscious that I've probably done five to seven years kind of in each stint before looking for that next thing. And I think it's that point of getting consciously competent um, and then and then sort of changing. And I guess the last thing is I, I really feel lucky as part of my story. Um, I really feel that um, opportunities have shown up at the right time. There's been some amazing people that I've had the chance to work with, um, either as mentors, challengers, colleagues, teachers, or, or, or simply just an inspiration. So um, really lucky, 30 years straddling finance and education, had a lot of fun. Um, put in a lot of hours as well. Um, but um, but yeah, really lucky, I think, to have had that kind of multi-career lucky lucky story. That's fantastic. You're, you're making a, a, a real impact on the world. If you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters behind your career, what would that be? Do you know what, Andy? I'm, this might sound strange. I'm actually going to say... 2008, September 2008, and Lehman Brothers going bust. Now, to most, that might sound a bit more like a a decelerant rather than an accelerant. Um, And in fact, I didn't actually work for Lehman Brothers at the time, but uh, that happened at a time when I was running a secured lending desk. 
And we had a, a lot of business out with, with Lehman's. Um, what happened in that, op- that opportunity made me realise I could deal with a crisis. And actually, it probably even more showed me that I actually really thrived with coping with the unknown. It's, I think the ti- that time I probably showed up in a way which then led to people giving me a whole new host of opportunities. That gave me extra confidence and that really pushed on, I think, my career. Um, and that's kind of why I say partly lucky. I was in the right place at the right time to kind of have that experience. But I think not only did it open those doors, but I think it also changed my thinking, which really accelerated my career. And I went from perhaps thinking and looking at things in a, through a lens of how is it done to actually looking at things through a lens of how could we do it? Um, and I think that probably that year shifted me from being a doer to a, a leader and stepping away from perhaps what I would call the more technical roles where I kind of did my stuff to much more stepping up into those management and leadership roles. And that's probably where, where I probably sort of said was, was a big boost. So maybe a strange answer, um, but, but kind of out of all misfortune comes fortune. Yeah, I, uh, our career paths have uh, intersected at various points. And that time, uh, the fall of 2008 was also a very uh, formative time for me as well. Uh, and you know, it, it sounds like you ran toward the proverbial fire. Uh, I I did as well, and uh, and and uh, I think we're we're both uh, both better off for it. Certainly, the world was better off for you running uh, toward the fire and not away from it. So, um, Kate, let's dive in. Uh, give us a little primer on what makes Ivy House unique in the sea of learning and development firms that are all around the world. Yeah, there's a lot of them, aren't there? Um, And probably one of the best ways to try and explain this is, and and probably where a lot of our our why or or, or our sort of direction comes from is is probably a question that um, we've been asking for a long time, which is how many extraordinary leaders do people actually know? Um, And we've been asking that since before we set up Ivy House and, and ever since, and that you always get some outliers. Some lucky people might have have potentially double digits. Many turn around and say absolutely nobody. But but actually, the average tends to come in at around two. Now, given, as you say, how many firms there are and what the global spend is on leadership training, um, it it really forced us when we we were, you know, lucky to come to this quite late, I suppose, um, really forced us to stop and think, actually, what's happening isn't working. There's got to be a different way, potentially a better way. So we really went back and, and, and really reflected on actually what was happening and why didn't we think it was working. And, and I think what we've often seen is um, a lot of leadership programs are, are built a little bit like, um, like a beautiful looking house. So people take um, lots of bricks and they'll take the, um, the strategic thinking brick and innovation brick and inclusive leadership brick, uh, diversity brick, the coaching bricks. And they'll build 
these bricks on bricks and this beautiful patchwork pattern of um, a leadership, one leadership development model on top of another, and they'll pull in this piece of research and put it with another distinct piece. And, and look, don't get me wrong, what you get is this very impressive, sophisticated um, house that's been built out of these different leadership bricks um, and put together. And then they invite people into that house and look, it's a place to connect. So, you know, people walk out with, you know, great scores as soon as they walk out. The, 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 the happy sheets at the end look great. People have enjoyed the experience. But our worry has always been that a couple of years down the line, there's no change. Leadership is still, and some of the leadership challenges is still the number one item on most CEOs wish list of things they'd love to fix. It's that one constant. Other things have come and gone, but it's that one constant. So I guess kind of what is different a little bit about our approach is that we, we recognize the importance of those skill breaks. So don't, you know, please don't think that we, we don't think that the inclusive leadership and all of that is really key. But the difference is, is that we believe we've actually got to go back and prop in, put in some proper foundations. Those foundations are, are personal, personal behavioural change. So it's actually about how we as humans show up, not just the skills that we have, but giving people the skills to really understand who they are and then how they can be a great leader. And we strongly believe that unless we're willing to invest in those foundations, it doesn't matter what skill bricks you put on top of that, you're never really going to drive organisational change. And you're still going to be trying to solve that leadership problem two, three, four years down the line. Um, it's, I guess, kind of in a nutshell, we, we try to get clients to sometimes be a bit brave, a bit brave to step away from jumping in straight away with those skills bricks and, and to really invest in the human side of people. Um, but it makes a difference. And we believe it's that difference comes from the starting place, not the finishing place. Yeah. Getting, uh, getting leaders to show vulnerability uh, and to accept that uh, it, uh, it starts with them and it starts with them inside uh, of them, their heart, their mind, yeah. uh, their approach, that it's not just, uh, the, the, I, I love you. I, I love your metaphor of the skills bricks. It's not just brick on brick on brick because that house can fall down. If you don't have that foundation, uh, it, it is all going to come crumbling down. So that that's a wonderful, wonderful metaphor for, uh, for our listeners. And do you know, Andy, I think that, that that goes against sometimes what certainly perhaps my generation was given the impression of leadership was. You know, the, the, when, when I first turned up at large organisations, it's here's our values. This is what you are. Um, and I think there's a, there's a need for a real change there. It's not to say that organisations can't have their values. We have values. But it's about investing that time to help people understand their values and how they can pair those two together. Right. Well, Kate, let's let's talk balancing acts now. Uh, it's the name of the show, so we kind of have to do that. Uh, what's the most important balancing act that an L and D firm, leadership and professional development firm, 
has to play when they're working with a client. And here, you know, we're talking about L&D firms in general. And if you can sprinkle in how client size influences your answer, that would be great. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Like, I think there's, it's probably different for different organizations. So I'll probably speak from our kind of personal experience. And, and it's probably quite linked to what I was talking about earlier that it's balancing and working with a client to balance the human and the organizational piece. Because very often it takes some bravery from our clients. Um, very often um, the C-suite has set a set of KPIs of changes that they want to happen, that they, 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 want, to, they want to put in place, that they want to meet targets that they want to put in place. And it's getting that balance between having an organization invest in people, but it also not becoming too much about just the humans and getting that real balance right. Yeah, because too much humans and we kind of lose, lose the C-suite buy-in. Um, and I think it, 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 it's at risk of people not connecting it to the workplace. But jumping in too soon with those skills bricks that we were talking about means that, that as you said, that, that house will just fall down without those proper foundations. And, and I think the problem is navigating that. And this comes back to the question around the different size of organisations that you said. In smaller organisations, it's probably easier to navigate because the communication tends to be a bit better. The bigger the organization, the more people involved. It's getting that balance right, understanding how we tell that story and how we position it for C-suite, which might in a big organization be eight, nine, ten steps away from the people that we're, we're interacting with. Whereas with some of our smaller, perhaps the tech clients that we work with, the CEO is really hands-on. Yeah, very often he'll join the pitch meeting and he'll be involved in it. And we can get that, that real story in front of him. So I think for me, it's that, it's that balance. Um, and I think it's the connectivity. It's how close, how tight um, the organization is that size has an impact on. Well, I really appreciate the... Uh the uh, the connectivity of this conversation and your answer to that question uh to the to 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 my second book which is the balancing act between trust and accountability within an organization you can go too far to the human side and uh, leave behind the hey we've got to get stuff done here we've got goals to meet uh, so, so thank you for that. Uh, Kate, before we break for a quick commercial, let's shift gears to your specific career arc. What's the most important balancing act you've played that's contributed to your personal career success? It's a really good question. And this might sound a little bit of a cliche and, and you may have had people try and explain this one before, Andy, but I think for me, it sums up the balance between listening to what is inside of me and being cognizant of what is outside of me. Um, both are really important and one can't come at the expense of another. 
Um, and I know, look, I'm, I know I'm a pretty competitive person. Okay. And anybody that plays golf or tennis of tennis with me will, will very much vouch for that, I'm sure. And I also know that like, like a lot of people, I can probably sw- switch into self-judging mode rather than self-coaching mode at, at, at times and, and get swept along with stuff. Um, and I, you know, having spent 25 years in financial services, it's, it's really easy to chase that big role, to feel that pressure from outside or to feel that success looks like that promotion or that bigger salary. And, you know, so many people stick the label of success on those. Um, and, I, and I did that once. I, I, I changed jobs thinking, hey, you know, it's not that different, but they've offered me money and it looks great and it's a bigger organisation. And I guess I didn't stop to think, okay, that's what it looks like on the outside. How's it going to land for me inside and to get that balance right? What really struck me very quickly in that scenario, wrong decision, best thing I ever did uh, because it was a real learning experience for me. Um, I really quickly felt it didn't feel right inside. It wasn't me. Um, I couldn't be authentic. Everything felt like an effort. Nothing felt natural. Um, not that necessarily people could see it on the outside. It was great job. That looks great. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. That's that's perfect. But in that state, I just don't think you can perform your best if that balance is out. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. If you're not feeling it inside, you're not going to be at your best and you're not going to have the success that you deserve. So I think for me that, come back to your point about balance, is sometimes you do have to pursue those things. There's been at times in my career where financial security has been more important than others. But you've always got to get the balance. You've always got to make sure that your inside is okay and you're pursuing what opportunities are outside. You can't have one without the other, but it can't come at the cost of the other either. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not a sustainable uh, position uh, to be in when your insides are not in coherence with uh, with the outside. Uh, I've lived in, in that world uh, myself and uh, know exactly what you're talking about there. Kate, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability The Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today, wherever books are sold. And we're back with Kate Lander talking about the world of leadership and professional development. Uh, Kate, I've always been fascinated by the dynamic, the push and pull between external or third party leadership training providers and internal human resources and learning and development teams. In my experience, internal teams can appear threatened by outside providers. How do you minimize this potential 
tension and uh, conflict? Great question, um, Andy. And I, I think I know what you mean and have, have seen it at times and I've probably also worked with colleagues that have sat on both sides of the fence. In fact, we, we have one of our team that's, um, that, that's come from the other side, as we sometimes joke. Um, I think for me, it's trying to understand where some of that tension or sense of threat can come from. And I think as a, you know, personally and, and also with, with the business, our belief is that very often it comes from perhaps a lack of trust. Um, and that's not that anybody thinks anybody is dishonest. It's not that kind of trust, but it's the kind of trust that comes from having a brilliant relationship. Um, and we really focus on trying to apply a lot of the, the development and the training work that we deliver in an organization to the organization and the team that we're working with. So, Andy, you know, a lot of the work we do is around stuff like effective teams. Well, it'd be really wrong of us to go, oh, we're going to go and teach your teams how to be effective, but we're not going to create an effective team with you. So, so it really comes down to looking at that relationship and trying to understand how we can build a sense of trust. And that trust means that then you've got the ability to, to challenge each other, to give really honest feedback. Um, to recognise challenges as they happen and not to apportion blame, but to crack on and solving them. And, you know, just today I had a call um, with, with a client because not that anything's gone wrong, but it just doesn't really feel as if we've, we've quite got that, that level of trust and relationship and the ability to give that feedback. And it's like, no, hang on, let's down tools straight away. Let's work on this so that we can push forward. Um, I think it's hard sometimes because we've probably all been there. You know, in, in, in a training world, RFPs go out. By the time the, 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 the provider's appointed, everyone's behind timetable. No one's got a proper time to, oh, you know, let's, let's shave a bit off the kickoff meeting. Yeah, yeah I know we said we'd, we'd have a celebration, a wee time together. Yeah, yeah, let's just crack on and do that. So very often it can be really, um, really easy to try and launch in too quick. Um, but actually we, we really now actually make it part of our proposal that if a client isn't willing to invest in that time, building a relationship up front, um, and to build that into the timetable before we launch, we're not the right people because that's kind of the way, the way that we've got to work. So, um, so I think a lot of that conflict comes from trust or a lack of trust. Um, but you've got to invest in building that relationship. Yeah, th thank you for pointing out uh, and reminding us of the the whole uh, request for pr proposal process, the RFP process. You know, you're getting uh, bids uh, and information from multiple pr providers. Internal team members are thinking, ooh, I really like them or I really like that process. And then the decision is made and those personal preferences, maybe the team really wanted uh, firm X, yeah. but firm Y was chosen maybe for financial reasons. So I completely agree with you that of really forcing that relationship yeah. uh, reset, if you will, uh, once the, the deal is landed. That's uh, very, very smart of, uh, of yeah. you and your team. 
Um, so, Kate, let's play start, stop, continue. We're a little thought experiment. Suppose you have a chief okay. learning officer, chief human resources officer in front of you right now. As it relates to their company's learning and development practice, what should businesses stop doing? What new practices should they adopt? And what's a best practice that they should continue? And here I'm kind of taking us back to some of your initial uh, thoughts on what Ivy House is, uh, is, is all about. Yeah, really, really good, good question. So I'm going to start, start with the stop. Um, stop telling people to go on a leadership program just because they've done really well in their job and they've got to a certain level. Okay. Just because somebody is a brilliant trader, a brilliant uh, accountant, a brilliant seller of something, doesn't mean that they want to be a leader. There's a big difference. Right. So um, stop telling would be my first, my first point. Allow them to understand what being a leader means. Allow them to buy into it. Um, yeah, just, just, just make it something that they want to invest in rather than a burden, which is kind of what it feels. It feels it's kind of billed as now. You got to the top, you got to do that bit. Um, we need to, we need to right. make, make leadership inspirational. The start, um, golly, I, I still think leadership programs sit on the side a little bit. They're not really embedded into the organization. So I'd really love to see really honest, open integration program, integration of these programs into an organization. And what I mean by that is involve their line managers. All right. There's this almost sort of magic of you go on a leadership training and you 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 trundle off to a remote venue somewhere where you all hold up together for three days or um, you know, actually Let's get everybody involved in this so that people can support you go through that process. And I don't know whether all business heads would agree with me on this one, but I'd love to, that integration, I'd love to see that show up as creating a safe space for challenges to be raised and elephants to be named. Because unless you create that space, you're never going to move on. You create that space and you could actually solve some of your biggest business problems. Um, so that's what I mean about, look, if you're going to invest that time, start really connecting it to your business. And that doesn't just mean asking your training company to make sure you use these words or use your values. It means really connecting it in. To continue, um, look, there's loads of good stuff going on, but I think whether from my first days in training, golly, in the early 1990s now to running a training company today. I think there's always been a, a focus on facilitators or teachers or coaches. That's always been a big ask and it's always been something that people have looked for. And I still think that even with technology, even with all of the different ways we deliver these days, that's still really important. Uh, we all remember our favourite teacher. We all remember that person that connects us to. So um, I think it's really keep on making sure that as a as a training provider you invest in those people and as a as a buyer of of training that you get the right team involved because 
doesn't matter what sometimes we all need that inspirational teacher yeah uh two two teachers here sitting and talking about <laughs> the importance of great teaching <laughs> Uh, I know there is something about that, Andy, but yeah. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate, you know, the, the, too many of us are ex, what I, what I term uh, the accidental manager uh, syndrome. I'm an accidental yeah. manager. Uh, I got tapped on the shoulder. Oh, Andy, you're, you're really good at your job. You want to lead people, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, thank you for that in that uh, start, stop, continue exercise. Kate, as we get toward the end of the show here, uh, two lightning round questions for you. Oh. Question number one, if I gave you access to a time machine and you could send a message to an earlier version of Kate Lander, what's the message and what previous version of yourself do you choose to send it to? That'd be an amazing tool, wouldn't it, Andy? And um, I love this question. I would go back 30 years. I'd go back to 1993, um, probably hopefully not to what I was wearing in 1993, but the piece of advice or the message that I would send, um, I'm actually going to steal a line um, from a fabulous lady I was lucky enough to share a stage with um, once called Claire Moriarty. And that, that message would be, be yourself and don't expect anyone else to be like you. That captures so much for me because not only does it, would it have told me to, to listen to that inside, to be really true to myself, to don't worry about feeling different at times to some of the people around you. But there's also another side of that, which is about being curious of other people, of what you can learn from them, that everybody's different for a reason and they can be some of your best teachers in that space. So I think it's such a powerful line that I think I'd love at 21 to have been told, be you. doesn't matter if everyone else is different and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. All right. Excellent answer. Second lightning round question. What's the best non-monetary investment you've ever made that has positively contributed to your overall well-being? It's got to be non-monetary. I'm going to go with walking. So it doesn't cost me anything to go for a walk. It does require an investment of time. So it is an investment, but it's a non-monetary investment. I know that I have done some of my clearest thinking whilst walking. I've certainly come up with some of the best answers to problems that I've been pondering. And I also know that it's, it's capable of having an instant impact on my well-being. Um, it really struck me, Andy, when COVID hit and suddenly I, I stopped going to work and Having, having worked in London for, for pretty much my entire life, um, as much as people moan about the tube system, it also creates a natural walking place in all of our days. And uh, it probably took me about six months sort of working at home, being chained to a desk that made me realise that my well-being had taken an impact. And what was missing was, was that walking time. And it, it doesn't even 
doesn't always need to be purposeful walking time. It can just be that space away from screens or stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, now I make a real investment in it every day. It's got to be a conscious investment if I'm if I'm based at home, but probably the best investment that I can make in my in my mind and well being. That is wonderful advice. Final question, Kate. What's next for Ivy House? What's next for you? Golly, um, I'm not sure. Five years ago, I would have seen what was coming for either of us um, as the world has been disrupted um, over the last five years. But I think for as a business, um, there's a huge amount of change going on at the moment. You know, we've seen in the last five years just remote and hybrid learning becoming a thing that impacts everybody. Um, workplaces have probably become more noticeably multi-generational than ever. Um, differences between some of those generations. Technology has, but has always been around. But obviously, I think sort of the last couple of years has really accelerated that. Um, that's been a lot to navigate in our own business, let alone in what we do for others. Um, but, but as a leadership training business, which is effectively what we are, um, this disruption feels really exciting. Um, I think when we set up six or seven years ago now, being honest, we were probably a little bit of ahead of our time, um, pushing on the human side of things. And we probably found a few more doors closed than were open. Those doors are really opening up right now. I think um, the last few years has put people and humans much higher up the agenda. And that feels really exciting. It, it feels a little bit like our like our moment has has come. That that drum that we've been we've been um, sort of banging. So I think for us, it's about now picking those opportunities, finding those partners, genuine partners that want to build those relationships, that want to create a relationship of trust, that want to invest in those foundations so that we can work with brilliant organizations to, to build some amazing change and to be part of that change, which feels really exciting. Um, it also awesome. asked for me. Um, for me, I think, look, it, after 30 years, um, I'm going to continue to feed my addiction to learning. That's definitely, uh, definitely one of the things. Hopefully, I'll continue to ride my luck um, and maintain that balance. Um, probably thrown away ever trying to map out my career. I think after after three big changes, that, that, that sort of planning process went out the window. Um, but I think as long as I know what drives me, which is that, that learning and being me and authentic, um, that will keep me going with a bit of luck. Excellent. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, such great wisdom you've imparted today. Uh, really appreciate you you being on today's show. Andy, thank you. And uh, really lovely to connect again after all of these years. Yes. Uh, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. You can find us on all the major streaming services all around the world. Please like, subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share this public good with your friends and your colleagues. Uh, this episode was produced by Nick Tempty, and we'll see you next time.